Good morning. Good to see everybody out and about. Beautiful weather. Todd's afraid it's going to be too cool. I think it feels just right. This is a lot better than the 100 degree days that we had. So we'll take it. Um, this is week three of uh, spiritual bankruptcy series, uh, the last of this set of series. And uh, talking about Job's life, and as we've looked through parts uh, one and two, we talked about in the first week about faith and the importance of faith and how that faith will draw us out of spiritual bankruptcy. Last week we talked about works and the works that Jesus told us to do and expected us to do, the works that Paul and Peter and all the other disciples that Jesus uh, discipled and all the things that he talked to them about and how that they, his brother James wrote about that we should have good works, that there should be works that we do to uh, solidify and prove our faith in Jesus. And as Jesus' brother James said that, he said, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And Christians should be people of action. Amen? Christians should be people of action. And as we looked into that, hopefully we walked away this past week uh, proving our faith by our actions and doing good deeds. I do want to thank everybody at the bridge uh, personally for... Uh, everything you guys did, all the prayers that you said, and uh, people that brought food, and uh, people that helped set up. Elizabeth brought a bunch of food, and everybody got it to her, and she brought it up to uh, the graveside service for my grandmother. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you. I thank God for you. Uh, Danny was a little bit late bringing his, but that was perfect because nobody else got it. So he brought a big chocolate cake, and uh, because it wasn't at the graveside, I got to eat that at home, and that was wonderful. So thank you guys. It was a very delicious cake. Uh, it had all kinds of stuff in it, and anything with walnuts on top of it, I'm all about it. I love walnuts. I eat them every morning. So thank you guys from the bottom of our heart, from our whole family. Uh, we appreciate you, and continue to keep my mom and my Aunt Mary in, in your prayers uh, just for the loss of their mother. And uh, I just hate it that she went out like that, that, that covid uh, took something very near and dear and precious to me and uh, just kind of makes me mad, really. So pray for my mom and my aunt if you would. Um, yeah. Job 13, verse 15. This is our verse that we've been reading through each week talking about spiritual bankruptcy. And Job, going through this experience in Job 13, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. This also will be my salvation, for a godless man may not come before his presence. The definition of spiritual or of bankruptcy is the quality or the state of being bankrupt. The second part of the meaning of that, according to Merriam-Webster, says utter failure or impoverishment. So whenever we're bankrupt of something, it means we're become a utter failure and we're impoverished that we are without, that we are lacking. So when we're talking about spiritual bankruptcy, it's where our spirit man is so drained, is so taken back by the things that we're facing and all the situation that's going on around us that we've seems to have lost everything the way Job did, 
that it's a state of spiritual bankruptcy. But in the midst of that spiritual bankruptcy, Job decided something. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the song that we've been singing at the end of this by Shane and Shane that Leslie's been singing at the end of uh, these first two weeks, we'll do that again today at the end of this service. And let it be our anthem for a little while in our lives that as we're facing situations and how that there is spiritual bankruptcy going on in so many people's lives right now, and there's statistics out there that says that up to 40% of people that attended church prior to COVID-19 will not return to the church. Think about that. We at the bridge, we haven't experienced that here ourselves. We've actually seen about the steady amount of, of growth and the steady amount of people coming. We've seen new faces come to our services. So we haven't saw that yet. But churches out there are facing, looking at 40% reduction in the church. That should scare us to death. And whatever I'm telling you this, I'm saying that yes, that though, though he slay me, though we're in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic and it's global and it's, everything's going on and it seems like utter failure and it seems like utter display of everything that's abandoned that we knew as solid and, and foundational for us before. Though God slay us, yet will we trust him. So in the midst of these situations that we find ourselves in, what are we going to do? Job said, I'm going to trust him. And I'm challenging you today as the bridge people to say, I'm going to trust God. That's the faith we talked about in week one. Because it'll bring you out and it'll pull you out of that bankruptcy type moment where that you owe more than you've made. And sometimes we don't uh, save enough. Anybody say Amen. Is anybody a really good saver? Do we have any really good savers out there? I mean, like your bank account is full, your, your house is paid for, all your vehicles are paid for, everything you own is paid for, and you saved up so much extra and you don't even buy anything extra even though you got a lot of money extra? No? I, somebody keeps buying race car parts, Leslie says. God says he'll give you the desires of your heart. If mine is a race car, then that's just godly. <laughs> Howie was just saying it last night. I believe it was talking about how that, uh, or maybe Friday night, of how that, and I was, I was making fun with my nephew and talking about things, and I said, I hate it when I don't have payments. Then I ain't got no reason to go to work if I don't have payments. You know, if I go to work and i got payments to make, then I feel like that's something I'm doing, I'm accomplishing something because I pay a payment. How he said, yeah, it's, it makes me feel embarrassed whenever I stand around and he don't have any payments because he's paid everything off, and he gets these paychecks, and he's like, what am I going to do with this? So he goes out and blows it all, and he don't save it, and he said, it kind of makes me feel stupid that I'm broke, and I don't have any payments, so I want payments. Anybody out there want more payments? They got any takers like some more payments? No, no, everybody's good. Okay, Ron just about had his car paid off, and he went and bought another one. He called the bank. He didn't even know how much he owed on. He called the bank and said, "How much to owe?" What was it, Ron? Like three hundred bucks or something. He owed left on his old car, so he goes and buy a new one. 
We're all guilty of that. The minute we pay something off, we'll go get something else. Amen. Because we're not storing up and saving enough for hard times. That's what bankruptcy is. And if anybody's ever faced financial bankruptcy, I pray for you. Uh, I don't want you to feel any shame by this sermon series. And I should have said that in week one, and I didn't. And so if anybody's ever faced uh, physical uh, financial bankruptcy, we're not talking about that. I, this whole thing is about spiritual bankruptcy. And we're not making fun, we're not poking fun. But we ought to be better savers. In the physical, in the financial, and in the spiritual. So during the good times of your life, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because the more heavenly our salvation is, the longer lasting this salvation will be. If we place our salvation on this earth, on anything that we have or possess here, then we're going to come up short when it gets to heaven someday. So as I'm telling you these things, understand this, that spiritual bankruptcy is not something that has to be. It's not something that you have to face. We should store up and have a savings plan. So the story. What if I told you where there, there was no story? There was no story. What, what if there was no story? Would you still have came the past couple of weeks? I think you would have. But there is a story. I just wanted to scare you a little bit. There is a story that, I, that just kind of sparked something that I was thinking about. The story was that I was getting ready to go to the races because it's a beautiful thing. It's a godly thing. Right, Ryan? Yeah. Ryan thanks me every week. He's like, thank you for letting me work on a race car. I'm like, what? Thank you for letting me work on a race car. I was like, that's awesome. I'm glad you come and work on a race car. He thanks me for letting him. I'm like, thank you for coming and working on a race car. But I was getting ready to go to the races, and I didn't have enough gas in my truck. To make it to the races and make it back home. Has anybody ever waited too long to go somewhere and you left late to go somewhere and you didn't plan ahead and you didn't have enough gas in the truck or the car or whatever you drive and, and you have to go by and swing by the gas station to fill up, right? So I did this and I, I was already late and I'd waited too long to leave, but I wasn't going to go out there and then run out of gas on the way home because that would just be embarrassing. So I, I head down to the shortstop in Garrison. Everybody know where that's at? I think everybody does because I see all of you down there eating all the time. Shortstop is a wonderful place. I thank God for Garrison having its own version of Mickey D's and it's known as the shortstop. So I, I go down there and I, I get gas and I, I pull in and I, I pump my gas and, and I'm standing out there and other people's pulling in. I'm talking to them and and next thing you know, the guy's going to the races with me. He pulls in behind me, and uh, I'm there, and I'll, I go in to pay for my gas. And whenever I get inside, I've been there like five billion times. Can anybody say amen? I've been to the shortstop like five billion times. David, you're shaking your head. Yes, that must be where you eat a lot, wherever you come home on the weekends to get a shortstop burger or something. 
So I'm standing there at the counter, and I'm, I'm, I'm eating or, or getting ready to pay for my gas, and I, you know, I get my lemon water, and I get my stuff that I want to take with me, and standing there, and I, I, somebody's in front of me, and as soon as they move out of the way, and I step up to the counter, and there's this little girl behind the counter. Uh, it's, what's her name, Leslie? Little Joe Ed, or whatever his name. Huh? Yeah, that, and she's she's standing there and she's she's waiting on me, and, and I've been in there like five billion times, and I've seen her like five billion times, and I walk up to the counter and I'm, I'm standing there, and she says, uh, "How much the gas is?" And I rung it up, and I, I was paying her, and I, I goof around with people all the time when I'm talking with people, and I said something, and she said, "Are you a Bloomfield?" I said. What'd you say? She said, are you a Bloomfield? I was hoping some of them would be here today. Now none of my Bloomfields are here. Well, some of them. I think, Todd, you're kin of the Bloomfield somewhere back through the generations a little bit. But here at the bridge, we got all kinds of Bloomfields. We got Brittany, and then you got Cindy, and there's, there's just, everybody's tied into the Bloomfield somehow. And there you go. There's Dennis over here. But see, amen's everywhere on the Bloomfield. So I'm standing at this counter, and she says, are you a Bloomfield? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not a Bloomfield. I kind of take offense to that. And she said, uh, well, you look like a Bloomfield. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I look like Bloomfield, I guess. I, I said, hopefully not Bobby. I wish Cindy was here for that one. And, and she said, no, you look like Mr. Bloomfield. I, li- I like Mr. Bloomfield. That sounds cool, like Mr. Bloomfield. Like, you know, that's somebody, re- Reverend uh, Mr., you know, they put that title on it. And she talked about her teacher. I was like, I don't know him, but I know somebody that knows him. Has anybody ever been in a situation like that where they talk about somebody and you say, oh, I don't know him, but I know somebody that knows him. And Sammy is friends with Mr. Bloomfield, right? So Sammy ain't here today. Too bad he misses out on the story. But So she said, I look like Mr. Bloomfield. I don't even know who Mr. Bloomfield is other than I know that it's somebody that Sammy knows. Probably Kenny back there, too. He's smiling like he might know Mr. Bloomfield, too. So I, I don't know what he looks like, but I, I know one thing. He must be off a pretty feller. <laughs> so if you guys could get that information to him, that he, he must be a pretty swell-looking guy because she said I look like Mr. Bloomfield. But I did have a hat on. I had my glasses on, so my shades on. So maybe that's what it was that drew that out there. He didn't have a cool scarf on like me today. But this is actually probably. Uh, mask. You look like a Bloomfield. I don't know him, but I seem like I need to get to know him. So somebody's got to hook me up and get me somehow and to where I can find out who Mr. Bloomfield is so I can see who I look like. But as I was thinking about this story and how that it would apply to us is sometimes people will see us as resembling somebody else. So the story is this, how much do we resemble somebody that we know that knows somebody that we may not know personally? And as I think about this, I think about my childhood and being brought up in a church and I I attended a church all my life growing up on Sunday nights that mom and dad would take us to the congregation out at Hilltop Tabernacle and I didn't know Jesus. I never trusted him with my life. I never allowed him to be the Lord in my salvation. 
But I was around a whole lot of people that knew him very well. Miss Eloise Cooper would take us and she was our Sunday school teacher and how that she would pour into our life and tell us about this man named Jesus. And the more we're around Christians, I can tell you this and assure you this, the more that maybe you're not a Christian yet, maybe you've not took that great leap of faith to take that first step to come towards Jesus. And that's all it really is. It's where you trust him to be your Lord. That you turn over a new leaf. But the more you're around Christian people, the more you're influenced by Christian people, the more you will resemble Jesus. Because the characteristics of Jesus is applied to his children, and then they will extend to you. You can resemble somebody that you don't even know yet. So the good qualities and the good traits of your life, even as an unchristian person, stems from Jesus and from God. So Job in the Old Testament here that we're reading about, he knew somebody that knew somebody. He didn't really know God. He knew about God. But now in the New Testament, we have a picture and a perfect example that was painted before us as humanity. And his name was Jesus. Because it said that God became flesh and dwelt among us. So as Jesus came, he painted this perfect picture of a, for us of what God looks like. So as we read the New Testament, if we read Matthew Mark and John and, and all those in Luke. And as we read those books of the Bible, we'll see a picture of Jesus who shows us who God is like. And the more qualities that we take on like him, the more we will look like him. So my challenge for you this, this week is, as we go out in the community and we do these things, and just like last week, it's all about actions. But the thing is, are you storing up treasures in heaven? Because that's what Jesus told you to do. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth corrupt. The things that we store up on this earth will rot, will rot. It'll rust and it'll, it'll be corrupt. It'll do away. How many's ever left something outside? Anybody ever left something outside and you didn't mean to? One time I was a little kid, we went down to the swimming hole and I'd, I'd had some money from somewhere. I don't even know where I got it from. And we, we went swimming and all that. And, and I, I couldn't find my money later. It's like, what did I do with my money? Because I forget stuff all the time. If Leslie wasn't around, I wouldn't remember anything. And I forgot my money laying there on the, on the creek bank. And I don't know how long it was, but it was a, a pretty good amount of time later that we stumbled down there and ended up back down the creek. And whenever I looked down, there was my money laying on the ground. And then I remembered, the minute I saw it, I remembered that I left it there. But whenever I tried to pick it up, it just fell apart. <laughs> Why are you laughing? This scarred my childhood, and you're making fun of me. Money... It'll rot if you leave it outside. If you don't believe me, leave some down here for about a month. Lay it over on the creek bank. Wherever you come back to look for it, it won't be there because I'll come and get it after you leave it today. But the things of this world will rot away. And if we put our trust in the things here on this earthly realm, we will surely figure out that it will not last. 
So my question today is, who do you look like? If we took an evaluation today to say, here's who I am, here's the person that I am, here's my name, here's my birth date, here's my social security number, here's everything about me. If you roll it all up in a package and you take a snapshot of what my life looks like, who do I look like? As we do that, we're evaluating ourselves, and we should do this from time to time. And in spiritual bankruptcy, the first thing you should do is evaluate your situation. So as you evaluate yourself sitting here right now, how much do I look like Jesus? How much do I resemble God so that people think that I portray him to my community? Or people think that I portray him to my neighbors? Who do you look like? Job, in the midst of his troubles and his trials, he's, when he says this word, though he slay me yet, well, I trust him, he's talking to his friends. Or actually, they're his so-called friends because friends sometimes are proven not to be friends. So Job is in the midst of all this trouble and he's got all these bulls over his body and he's going through this terrible time and he's lost everything. His wife and his children's passed away and he, he lost his farms. He lost everything. It's, it's a bad time in his life. And, and his friends come over, his so-called friends. Everybody say so-called friends. Who do you look like? We might resemble who we hang out with. So Job is hanging out with these people, and they come over, and they say, well, Job, this is going on, that's going on, you did this, and you did that. And they, they start digging all the way through his past and telling him about everything he'd ever done wrong. They had been watching him, and they was looking for the wrong things they'd done, and they, apparently they was taking account of it. They must have been keeping a ledger of what all Job had done. And they're blaming all this situation that Job was facing on what he had done. And as they're telling him all these things, and Job's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get through these bulls on my arm. I'm trying to get through this pain that I'm feeling. I'm trying to deal with this loss. I've just lost my whole family, and you're telling me everything wrong about me. You know what? who those friends look like? It's the person I talked about a few weeks ago, the accuser of the brethren. Who was it that went to God and said, God, try Job? It was the devil himself. It begins, the book of Job begins with that. That the devil went himself to God and said, try Job. He won't hang with you. He'll go spiritually bankrupt. Leave him, leave him abandon him, take from him. And God says, you don't know my servant. You don't know Job like I know Job. And Job looks a whole lot like me. And as God is saying this, and the devil comes down and tries to steal from him, even Job's friends try to tear him down. How many knows that bad news will travel around the world, well, they say seven times before good news will get out of the driveway? There's a lot of truth in that. How many's ever heard bad news and kept it a secret? None of you are all liars if you raised your hand. Every time we hear bad news about whatever, everybody's like, what, what'd you hear? Then we all whisper, and you know, it's automatic. Karen does it all the time. She whispers. And, 
Oh, she gets embarrassed if she talks loud, so that's... I aggravate her all the time about whispering. She whispers everything. Why is it that we whisper whenever we're telling bad news? And we'll look around, make sure nobody else is looking and hearing, and you'll lean over and tell your friend, you're like, guess what I heard? Amen. We will tell bad news so much faster, even as Christians. Well, maybe you guys don't know any Christians that tell bad news. I try, I'm trying to look and see if there's anybody out here that's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Nobody's shaking their head. Everybody's like, oh, gosh, he's talking about me. He's talking about that neighbor sitting beside of me, and I'm not going to look over at them. Bad news. You don't have to tell it because everybody else will. So I'm here to challenge us Christians today. Who do we look like? Did Jesus tell bad news? No, he said, I come to give you good news. (laughs) There's good news in Jesus. There's good news from Jesus. So if we're going to look like him, we're going to act like him, and we're going to say what he would say. And whenever he would go around and he would look at this woman at the well that we talk about so many times here at the church, I love that story. And as he goes and he looks at her and sits there on the well and she comes up, he, he, he talks to her and he speaks to her. And as he's telling her things, he tells her good news. You've come to get water out of this well, temporal things. You're spiritually bankrupt, yes, but guess what? I could give you water that will spring up into everlasting life. And if you only knew who you was talking to, you would ask me for water and I would give it to you. Jesus will not withhold any good thing from his children. The Bible says all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. Bad news does not come from God. He gives good news. Who do you look like? Who do you act like? And what do you say? As Christians, let's be not spiritually bankrupt in that we're spreading bad news all the time and we're telling what we know and the latest gossip and the the scripture in the New Testament is full of places that talks about busybodies and about gossipers and about all those that are saying all these things and we need to take those into account. And this is challenging. Amen? Is anybody challenged by this at all? That, that we're gossipers, that we, that we tell bad news a lot quicker than we tell good news. Most of the time people don't want to hear good news. Look at the news media. A lot of people say that all the time. I get so sick and tired of watching the news. How many said that in the past year? I'm tired of watching the news. But I want to know what's going on. <laughs> So you flip on Channel 3, and while they talk about, well, there's seven killings downtown this weekend, and over in Ashland they got drug deals busted, and Grayson had this to happen, and a wreck happened over here. They don't tell good news because they know good news won't sell because people wouldn't turn it on. 
But if they tell bad news and everybody can go to work the next day and say, did you hear about that wreck over in Grayson last weekend? Did you hear about those people committing fraud over there last weekend? It gives us something to talk about, the water cooler talk, right? We shouldn't be like that as Christians. Maybe this is too tough. Maybe I'm getting on my own toes and I'm backing up here farther and farther. I'm getting in the light. I'm going to get over here in the darkness again. I jump over here. Spiritual bankruptcy. When we become spiritually bankrupt, it basically means that we don't look like who we're supposed to look like. And we put our trust in temporal things. Because when our spirit man dies, I was talking to my secretary a couple weeks ago about this. She's faced a lot of things here in the past few months. And I was talking about salvation. I was talking about godliness and I was talking about Christianity and I was talking about things and I said there's two parts to our being. We have a natural body that we're living in and our soul is part of that, our mind, our will, and emotions and, and people study all those things. There's psychiatrists and there's all these different things that where people can really study into human nature. But there's also a spiritual man. And the Bible talks about our spiritual man, our inner man. It's basically like this. I'll tell you which, which becomes stronger, whichever one you feed the most. If we're feeding our soulish man, if we're taking care of our physical body or our mind, our will, and our emotions, and that's all we're dealing with is buying and purchasing and doing this and doing that and living this life the way we want to live it and don't ask and don't pray and don't ask God what should I do or pray should I do this or should I not do this and we just do whatever we want. That's who we're feeding is our soulish man. But if we feed our spiritual man through reading of scriptures, prayer, attending church services, being around other Christians, going to connection groups, doing this, doing that thing as a Christian, telling the truth, speaking good news. If we do these things, we're adding to our spiritual man. And if our spiritual man is strengthened, guess what? He won't go bankrupt. Amen. Amen. Your weekly life, and Dusty said this a few weeks ago when he preached, that, that we can't depend on one church service on a Sunday morning to get us through the week the rest of our life. That we have to do things on a daily basis and we have to have these things. And not that we're proving anything to anybody, but it's building up our spiritual man so that we can make it through. Because if I don't build up my spiritual man, I'm going to go bankrupt. And I can't just take it on a one-time event of my salvation either, where that I gave my life to Jesus in October of 1999. I can't go back to that and say, well, I did it once and Jesus, I give it to you once and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Paul, the apostle, said, I die daily. I die to the flesh. Because whenever I die to the flesh, I build my spiritual man. So I'm begging of you today, build up your spiritual man. If you want out of spiritual bankruptcy, then begin to apply things to your spiritual life. And when you do these things, I promise you this, that you'll go throughout life, and there'll be people look at you, and I've had this happen I don't know how many times in my life. The people will say things. When I look at you, I saw Jesus. I've been told that I don't know how many times. It happened just this morning. I didn't know this was going to happen. Had no idea of this. 
By sitting here this morning, this beautiful little kid brought me over a piece of paper. Draw me on there. I'm smiling. Leslie's frowning. So she's a truth teller. Amen. Well, actually, both of them smiling. One of them's mouth open bigger than the other. Maybe that's Leslie. I don't know. It's got a little boat on it. It's got a heart on it. Maybe it's a sign we're supposed to have a boat, Leslie. I don't know. We're not selling anything. We're buying a boat. Um, I'm going to look like a Bloomfield. I'm going to look like Bobby Bloomfield. I'm going to get a boat and head down through there and go fishing. Take up a new hobby for the winter. She's got this water over here. I don't know what that green dot is. But she was sitting there and she, she told her uncle, Dusty, and she said, I'm going to draw a picture for them Jesuses. How awesome is that? From the mouth of babes I've perfected praise, God said. And where she looks at us, she sees Jesus. Because she knows when she comes to church, she's going to get a little Jesus. Amen. Ain't you glad whenever you come to church on Sunday mornings and we come out here and sit on this lawn and we hear these messages and we listen to these words from the Bible that we get spiritually fed and we get built up and even the kids understand and know, I'm going to go get some Jesus. They, they didn't say, I'm going to go listen to some wise words from Pastor Ben. They come to get words from Jesus. And that's what you're receiving here today. I'm not giving you all this as my take on things or my philosophy or my vain thoughts or any of that. I'm telling you what Jesus asked us to live by. And to end the sermon series today, I want to read you some verses from the very last chapter of Job. This is Job 42, verses 10 through 17. It said, So the Lord restored what Job had lost after he prayed for his friends. Who do you look like? The Lord restored after Job had prayed for his friends. These are his friends that come bearing bad news. These were his friends that come and blamed everything that happened to him on him. Will you pray for your enemies? Jesus said to. Will you pray for those that despitefully use you? Jesus said to. Will you pray for those that hate you? Jesus said to, but Jesus didn't just say to do that. He did that. They, they smacked him in the face. They punched him. They whipped him with the cat of nine tails. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed his arms to a cross. And when he's hanging on that cross, what did he look down? He, say, he didn't look down and say, I blame every one of you. He looked to his heavenly father and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Who do we look like? When Job began to look like God, God restored everything that the enemy stole from him. If you're spiritually bankrupt here today and you feel like you're walking through life alone and you feel like you've been abandoned and if you seem like you've lost it all and you're wondering, how am I even going to go through? How am I even going to go on? Begin to pray for those Bad news, friends. The Lord doubled all that belonged to Job. What if Job got more after this than he had before this? What about you? How many would like your next spiritual round that you go through in this life to get double for your trouble? Amen?
that the enemy has to restore all the things that the enemy has taken from you. That God will bless you beyond measure. Verse 11, so they came to him, all of his brothers and sisters, all that had known him before, and they dined with him in his house. They comforted him and consoled him for all the trouble that the Lord had brought in him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Talking about Job. All of his family come. Guess what? In good times, people will come running. Amen. When you got it going on and you, you're going through this life and everything's hunky-dory and everything's perfect, they'll come running. Bad times, they'll come running and tell you how bad you are. Good times coming, they'll eat your food. This is proof of it. I love it when people come to our house and eat because then I get to eat. <laughs> Leslie cooked her the night. It was awesome. We had breakfast, didn't we, Mackenzie? Carver loved it. She had it all over her face. Then she ate some of that chocolate cake too, Danny. And whew, She had a mess going on. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the second part of Job's life more than the first. Look at your neighbor and say the second part. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor and say the second part. The second part of your life. We serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of third chances. We serve a God of fourth chances. He gives you boundless chances. When Jesus was asked, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Seventy times seven. That's how many times he'll forgive you. That's how many second chances you got with God. As long as you're breathing air, you have another chance. Coming to the Lord. So the Lord blessed the second part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter named Jeremiah, uh, Jemima. The second, Keziah. The third, I don't know that word. It's got dash in it. I'm not even going to try to read that one. Nowhere in all the land could women be found who were as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them inheritance alongside their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation and Job died old and full of days. The second part of Job's life far exceeded the first part. So if you're here today and you don't know God, or you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, or maybe you're spiritually bankrupt, and maybe you've given up on God and said, I'm not part of this anymore, I can't do it anymore, I'm just going to go back to doing what I used to do. The second part of your life is worth allowing God to change you from the inside out. My question today, have you been born again? Or even if you're a Christian, would you like to be born again again? Let's see if you'll play. If you would, I'll just have you bow your head and close your eyes. Whenever you go throughout your week this week, I want you to be the bearer of good news. 
because I want people to recognize us as Christians. As people that look like God. That look like Jesus. That we're Christ-like in our actions, in our words, and in our faith. wholeheartedly believe that we are people of second chances. The second parts of our life count. So if you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never turned over the lordship of your life to Jesus Christ, today would be a good day to do that. Or that you would say that, Pastor, I've done what I knew to do. I've done what I thought would please me. I've made my own way in this life and I've made a mess of it. Today I'm sitting here spiritually void and I know today that this bankruptcy that I'm in, that I can have a second chance because of the words you spoke. And I want Jesus to make all things new. I'm ready to start that life of a second chance. Nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand and say, I'm here today. Anybody lift up your hand? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for those hands. Amen. Hands everywhere. God of second chances I want to look like Jesus anybody else amen amen lots of hands went up I want us all to pray a prayer together together right now everybody here whether you've said this prayer with me a thousand times or whether this is your first time I want everybody here to say Heavenly Father I come to you in the name of Jesus your son I'm asking you forgive me for my sins for my faults for my failures thank you for giving me a second chance clean me from the inside out and allow me to make heaven my home where I'll spend eternity with you in Jesus name I pray everybody says amen So just keep your eyes closed and Leslie, I want you to sing that song just one more time. So if you listen to this for the last couple weeks, just sing it with her. You slay me, yet I will praise you, you take from me, I will bless your name. You're
in this series with I want everybody to sing that let's say just sing it one or two more times back through everybody I just want you to sing don't worry about the sound don't worry about the tune don't worry about it Father, I pray your blessings over your people. God, as we go forth this week, as people of the bridge, God, I pray that you would just allow us to walk in faith, in works, in speech. God, that we would be known as people that resemble you, that we look like you. 
Let that be our story, God, that we are people. The people knows as people who pray, as people who seek your face. And God, I pray that as people look into our people's eyes, the people of our communities, they gaze upon us and ask, why is this little church doing this much? God, that they won't see us, but they will see you. God, that they won't know us by name, but they'll know us as Jesus' people. God, help us to do the works that you call us to do. Allow us to always be a blessing to everybody we touch and everybody we reach. Let us bear your good news. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.